fan. Saturday morning in the Twin Cities, and you are in the zone on the fan where we try to make sense of what we witnessed on Thursday night. Good morning, one. Good morning, all. You are in the zone on the fan. I am Dave Sinekin, joined, as always, by my partner, the professor of hoopology, gopher legend, NBA champion, Double T, Trent Tucker in the house. Good morning. Good morning, Davey. You know, it seems like you know, just a week ago, we were sitting here at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, hosting Wolves After Dark for just the second time in 18 years, and reveling in a stunning, surprising, dominant Game 1 victory by the Wolves in Memphis that allowed us to hope, dared us to dream, and here we are, a week later, and the dream has turned into a nightmare. After the blowout in Game 2, the Wolves return home to a raucous target center. 18,000-plus just dying for the chance to cheer on their team. And for, I don't know, 34 of the 48 minutes, they were doing just that, and then all hell broke loose. And uh, they're going to have to pick up the pieces after an epic collapse unlike any we have ever seen. And they're back on the court tonight for Game 4. Good morning. Well, I mean, what do you say? And, you know, after watching the first half and saw how quickly they got up to a very good start, you know, Patrick Beverly went after Morant right away, got the crowd into the ball game. They jump up with a 26-point lead in the first half. And then Cats all of a sudden defense. To, Cats blocking five shots. Cats just a – he's not doing anything on offense, but he is a demon on defense. It looked like a different cat early. Well, it was a different basketball team. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden now you're only up by seven at halftime. You know, my I leave home and go watch my kid play hockey for a little bit and then check my phone, wolves <laughs> up again by 25. I said, well, you know, okay, they got themselves back together. His hockey game is over. I decided to check my phone again to see what the final score was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go to the ESPN app and it says, wolves are duking it out with the Grizz. I mean, duking it out, whether they you know, dunk out the Grizz. Yeah, I thought maybe it was a typo or right, something. Right, yeah. Right? Forgot the end. Uh, so I score flashes up. 93-90 Grizz. I'm like, 
Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. So I rented the car to turn on the radio to finish to finish listening to the, the final three or four or five minutes of the basketball game. Didn't and get I, any better. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, that how Memphis was playing, you know, throughout the entire ball game, they found enough energy and effort to get themselves back into the game with the, and, and with a chance to win and then go on to win the game. But by nine points, wasn't even by close. nine points. And yeah. you hear a lot of people talk about, okay, how can this happen? Well, when you're up by 25, the team that's trying to catch you, they need possessions. And the only way they can get possessions is by you coming down, taking quick shots, or you turning the ball over. And at that time, you have to understand time is situation. We don't need to have hero basketball. We don't need to go for the spectacular shot. Now we need to play simple basketball, smart basketball, to close this game out. I don't know if the Wolves have an offense that they can go to when they have a big lead where they can play simple basketball. They've never had to practice that. To close the game out. That's never been an issue before. Well, because... What do we do when we're up 25 in the playoffs? Well, because they continue to play the same way. See, you know, we want to shoot, we want to score, we want to play fast. But at some point in time, your mentality has to change on how you win playoff games. Because the only way that Memphis had a chance to catch up when they're down by 25 points, especially in the latter part of the third quarter, is that they need those possessions. They need those possessions. Yeah. And when you don't play the right way, you'll find yourself on the outside looking in very quickly. A minute and change left in the third quarter. The Wolves lead by 21 with a minute to go in the third quarter. They're outscored 50-13 to 13 in the final 15 minutes of game action. There's, there's so many ways and directions to go here, but I'm going to start with the head coach who took a lot of heat afterwards, and rightfully so, uh-huh. for not getting a grip on what was happening and calling a timeout with this run, this 21-0 to zero run happening. It's one thing for the team to make the big comeback early, you know, cut it from 26-7 to seven at halftime, and then come out in the third quarter again and, and make it a tight game. Once the Wolves stretch it out again to 20, that should be, you'd rarely, if ever, see a team fight back twice from 20 down on a I, night, as you said. I've never seen that. No, on a night where John Morant is being completely frustrated by, led by Beverly defensively. The Wolves did a great job of, of taking him away and making him just a you know a, a passer. He ended up with a triple-double, but it was a an ugly triple-double. How does Chris Finch not call timeout, if not late third quarter? Once the fourth quarter is no different and that lead is shrinking, I mean, T, you talk about it all the time, the key timeouts to stop a run. I understand he's a, you know, he's a coach that hasn't been a head coach for a long time. He likes to empower his players, let them fight through it. But this is game three of the playoffs where you have already grabbed home court advantage by stealing game one, stealing in quotes. They earned that win. Now here's your chance to just take game three and really get into their heads. And he didn't settle his boys down. And I just, I, I can't grasp what was going through his head. Well, uh... It seemed like that he had lost control of the game. He got caught up in the moment. He said yeah. he wanted to save his timeouts. He had burned a couple early. Doesn't he matter to... because only because one basket now here or there can stop the run. So let's call a timeout. They go from twenty-five to eighteen. I get a timeout here. Okay, to slow things down. Now, when you come out of the timeout, do you have a play that you can go to? that's going to put one of your best players in a position 
to either get a good shot for themselves or find a good shot for someone else. Because, as I mentioned before, when a team is making a run and they're down by a large number, the only way they can get themselves back in the game is that you have to give them those quick possessions. And the Wolves continue to fire three-point shots. They continue to turn the ball over. And all of a sudden now Memphis is out in the open floor. They're getting wide open three-point shots. They're getting layups at the basket. You are fouling them, putting them on the free throw line. You're slowing the game down now because you're giving them time on the clock you know, to make, a, to, to make a real significant run to catch you at the end of the game. So that's where coaching comes into play because you have to be able to manage the game for your team to give them a chance to win. Only few coaches, you know, throughout the time that I've played basketball, that have been able to allow their players to play through it. One guy had Michael Jordan, and the same guy had Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. You're not ready to put Ant in that conversation. Not yet. at all. And when, <laughs> and when you have a young team who is in this position, let's say for the first time, yeah. see, you have to help them get across the finish line. Now, can they bounce back? Sure, they can bounce back. But what happened on, uh, was it Thursday night? It was. You know, that, 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 that's, that's hard to take. Let's talk about Cat and the lack of touches because, as you talk about, as the game was getting away from them in the fourth quarter and they were just, you know, they were getting open looks. You know, Beverly shot five threes. He was open. He missed them all. You know, D'Lo had three threes, missed them all. They, the shots were not dropping, but they were shooting quickly. They were playing in the Grizzlies' hands. Right. And, and you know, at some point, you've got to get the ball inside to Carl Anthony Towns. Give him a couple post-touches. Where's the stat that um, I read in Johnny Athletic's piece in The Athletic? Um, in three games in this series, Cat has six post-touches total. He should have six in the first quarter of a game. Well, because they've run high pick and roll with him at the top of the key all the time. Yeah. Because he he believes that as a big man today that you shouldn't play basketball a certain way, that he's multi-talented, and he can score in a number of ways. So at this time of the year, he wants to do all the things and show his ability. The Wolves have him, you know, 28 feet away from the basket. Why is Carl Anthony Towns picking up offensive fouls? Because he's in no man's land. Like you and I talked about this a few days ago. Mm -hmm. When you go to set a pick in the pick and roll, if that guard doesn't wait for you to get set, one or two things are going to happen to you. One, you're either going to pick up an offensive foul, or two, you're not going to screen this man. So if the Wolves don't have any plays with inside of their offense where they can come down and run a half-court set and put him in a position underneath the basket, well, that's their fault. And, and this matchup now is begging for them to do that because they benched Steven Adams, they went small, they started Kyle Anderson, they throw Brandon Clark in there. Those are nice players, but Cat should dominate those guys inside. Why don't you counterpunch and go, okay, you're going small? We'll put our big guy down low and let him work, and if nothing else, get your guys in foul trouble because he makes free throws. You and I have talked about this for 26 years. <laughs> Basketball is a simple game when you play it the right way. I got to play for them. They can get Carl Anthony Towns a shot underneath the basket. I, I used to set a screen for a guy who became one, one of the prolific scorers in all, of, in all of the NBA, Bernard King. You know, if I can run instead of screen for Bernard King, and get him posted up against guys like Kevin McHale and Lonnie Sheldon, those types of players, 
You're going to tell me today with all the switching that they do, you can't run across screen for Carl Anthony Towns and bring him underneath the basket knowing that a small guy is going to switch on him. You just wear him out. Mm-hmm. You just wear him out. But when when you don't have any place set up for him to do anything down low because you haven't diversified your offense, these are the type of things that you can run into. It really ruined what was an electric night at Target Center. I'm sure many of you listening were at the game, and, and until, um, you know, fourth quarter or so, you were having the time of your life. Um, it was great to see that electricity back in Target Center, that excitement back. Um, I hope they bring it again tonight in Game 4 because, you know, this this is still a series. They've, they've given back oh, yeah. home court advantage, but you win tonight, and now it's a best of three, and you put the pressure back on Memphis. But we'll talk as we go today about, what it's going to take to put this game behind them. But um, as we move forward, we'll welcome your input, Wolves fans. Were you at the game? How are you feeling uh, about your squad as they get set for game four tonight? A late start, 9 o'clock local time, uh, 800-320-5326. Uh, email us, Bradshaw and Brian, inbox, booth, B-O-O-T-H, booth at KFAN.com. You can tweet me at TC Head Cheese. Uh, we're talking Wolves and the Grizzly series, which resumes tonight. Uh, we will talk all about the rest of the NBA playoff series. Injuries uh, taking a toll throughout the league. The last team standing may win this thing. Uh, we'll touch on your Wild, your Twins, and take a look at the NFL draft, which starts up coming up next week. We are just getting rolling. Glad to have you along for the ride. It is in the end, the fan. Nineteen on a Saturday morning. You're in the zone on the fan. With you till 10 o'clock as usual. Beyond the Pond follows us. The boys will talk about a surging wild squad that won again last night. All they do is win. That's 10 to noon. Saturdays with Sauce follows at this, noon. As you, before you finish your, your little thing you're doing. Yeah, let my little thing. Yeah. Are the Blues our first round opponent? Guaranteed. Oh. They're the Blues. And right now you got home ice, right? Yes, for now. There's now. A, there's a, so we have a game in hand still, okay. um, but the Blues also keep winning as well. So uh, so for now, we do have home ice, but we've got to basically, it seems like we got to win out. And the the Blues schedule the rest of the way, cupcakes. So, and what has the Wild got left? Um, well, we've got the, the last two games of our season, the two other best teams in the West, Calgary and Colorado. Just beat them. Just take care of business. Yeah. Yeah. Straightforward. Your squad's hot right now. Got the uh, what? Two point lead over the wolves. Over the blues. The wolves. Over the blues. <laughs> we um, like that. You got a hundred point scorer right in Caprisa. Fiala, all he does is assist. How good is he? Huh? How did you hi- just hijack our show? I did because you were talking about the wild. I was being polite because the hockey show follows and I us. I just kind of thought you know, that was enough. Kind of you know you just kind of tipped me off. You know you you know you're a good point guard. 
No, that I'm you not. You know how to set us up, you know? I'm the big body screen setter is what I am. You know, see, you know, after 26 years, you know how to set me up. Well, you know, okay, that'll without, give you. With, without really trying to set me up. Right, well, I think I may have to work on things a little bit. I didn't expect no. us to move so quickly into hockey just no, yet. No, it was just a, you know, a little quick thing here, knowing that the Blues might be our first-round opponent. Um, when do the playoffs start, by the way? Because it's... Is it was this the Olympic pause that moved everything back? Is that why they're still playing? Yeah, and they they moved some games around with COVID too into okay. that break. It was weird. I think May second is the day. Um, and as of right now, we actually don't have a game in hand. But the Blues play tonight, and we don't, so it will be a game in hand. But we're up two points on them. So. I don't understand how the standings work. There's way too many lines, way too many numbers. It's very confusing to me. I just right. don't get it. Okay. Um, all right. So back to where we were: the Wolves and Grizzlies game four tonight, nine o'clock. Um, lots of emails pouring in on the angst and the frustration uh, the fan base has with number 32. And we talked about you know the frustrations of watching Cat play. And the reality is the last four games, he's had three lousy games out of four, right? He had the playing game was terrible. Game one, he was terrific. And games two and three have been lousy. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to go too deep on game uh, three because defensively he was in it. And he played hard on that end of the floor. Um, but he took four shots in the entire game. Your first home game in however, you know, what, four years, but second in 18 years, whatever. And your all-NBA player got four shots off. And the last one, when he scored in the fourth quarter, I don't know if you've seen the highlight, he looks down at his hands and says, like, I got the ball. Wow, I got the ball. That's the kind of thing that bugs me, you know, that – don't do that on the court where everybody can see that. Just hold that in and just say, see, boys, give me the ball. Let, let's just, I just, and I think a lot of fans look at the mannerisms um, when he kicks out on a three-point shot and can't understand why he got called for a foul. And he goes, well, did you see me in the three-point contest? That's what I do. Carl, that's not a game. You have nobody defending you. If, if you shot a three-point contest with guys defending you and kicked your foot out, they call you on it. You can't do it. Don't refer to your three-point contest victory as, look, I can win by shooting that way. They're not going to let you do that. So you just add up all the the little things you see from your supposed leader, your seven-year veteran. And a lot of fans emailing the Bradshaw and Bright Inbox are saying, look, it's been seven years. Mm-hmm. I think this guy has shown us he's not going to lead us to the promised land. He could be a number two guy on a good team or a number three guy. I think that's going a little too far. But where are we with Cat and I understand it's a young team. They're maybe a year ahead of the schedule. Uh, we all hope they get to the playoffs. They did. They earned it with a 46-win season. Cat's going to be a third-team All-NBA player and trigger a whole lot of money. But where do we go with Cat? Like, can he and Ant together take this team where we want it to go? Well, it all depends on, you know, how are you going to coach these young guys going forward? And at some point in time, you know, the coach has to get control of his team and have to help these young guys through this process. And and if the coaches are not able to do that, well, then immaturity begins to set in from your young players. At this stage of the, of the season, this is where the head coach becomes important, especially for a young basketball team. He has to pull you to the side. Talk to you about the moment. I'm going to share a moment with you. Kevin Durant, one of the best players to ever play this game, goes to Golden State. He has Steph Curry and Klay Thompson on his team, Draymond Green. 
NBA championship team. Steve Kerr pulls him to the side and says, hey, let your teammates help you win the basketball game. You don't have to try to do it all by yourself. You have to, you have to play with the rest of the guys on the floor. And that's what coaching is about. Seizing the moment to help your players navigate through a situation that they might be struggling with. And right now, when you have young players who have never been in this position before, all of a sudden now they have a certain way of how they do things or how they perceive things should be done, that's where coaching comes in to help them navigate through those moments. And to take that a step further, Chris Finch has coached as an assistant in the playoffs before with Toronto. He understands that the game is officiated differently in the playoffs. It's an entirely different game. I heard uh, Van Gundy and Mark Jackson talking about it last night. It's so much more physical. It's, it's, yes, lots of fouls are called. We've seen it. But they allow a lot more physicality than we see in the regular season. And I don't think the Wolves are ready for it. I don't think the coaches have prepared them for it. You know, Cat's been in foul trouble here and there throughout the season. We've seen it. But it's relentless right now. He can't stay on the court. And a lot of them are, are setting screens. They're offensive fouls. And they just have to understand that this is a different animal in the postseason. And if Cat can't stay on the court, they have no chance against anybody. And what you just said, most of his fouls are coming where? Offensive fouls. Mm-hmm. Either he's trying to drive the ball and running over, over smaller, quicker players, or he's setting illegal screens. So if this is a, if this is a pattern that I'm seeing as a head coach, I got to get him out of that situation and put him somewhere else now, move him around the floor where he doesn't, if he can't control himself out there, then I have to help him because I know the, how important he is to our team and we need him on the floor. So do we have anything else inside of our offensive structure where we can move him around the floor where he can be more productive for us as an all-star type player. Exactly, because it's even more damaging because they don't have a backup. You know, that that's the hole on this roster. Nas tries hard. He's a nice player. He gives you bits and pieces. He's been overmatched in this series, and they couldn't go to him the other night. In fact, Finch went small and had, had Van, when Cat went out at one point, I think it was in the second half, when they were closing the gap, he goes small with Vando and McDaniels in there and doesn't go to Nas, and that lineup worked really well against the smaller Memphis lineup. But that's not going to work over the long term, and right. they're going to have to address this. We understand that. they If they want to be a top four or five seed in the West, they need more depth up front, you know, behind Cat. And, you know, and I've seen, I've been tweeted at, and, and people have reached out via text and said, can we just make Cat a four? Can we just find a center and make Cat a four and let him shoot his threes and, and do his thing and not be the guy that's got to be doing the dirty work down low? And, you know, I could listen to that if they could find the right center Next to him, I could see him playing. Who's uh, he, gonna find? I don't know. There's guys out there. I mean, Where? you know, around the landscape of the league, you can find a center. You can find a guy. I'm not saying he's going to be an All NBA player, but you can find a complimentary big guy who can be a rebounder, shot blocker, defender, and do some of the heavy lifting and let Cat operate more in space. Well, based on what I'm hearing, him playing the four or the five is not his problem. He can't stay out of foul trouble. So, and you just explained to me why he's in foul trouble. It's because he's setting screens high. He's in bad position when he sets screens. Either the guard is not waiting for him to get over there in time enough and wait. Or he's trying to catch the ball and show that he has all these guard-like skills from 27 feet against a smaller and quicker player 
and they take away his ability to drive the ball to the basket, and he runs them over. That has nothing to do with his playing for. No, I understand. It's a different conversation. It's all about what position you have him in. Yeah. So just tell him, tonight, you know what? You're going down low. We're going to run this play over and over and over again and force them to make adjustments. Now, when they had Steven Adams on you, okay, now you can – now see – now we can move you away from right. the basket because Steven Adams doesn't have the foot speed to guard you. But when they made the adjustment to go small, we have to counter that yep. by using our all-NBA player who has the size and the strength down low to work over small players. And if we don't have that diversity within inside of our offense, shame on us. No doubt. To the zone lines we go. Let's head up to Detroit Lakes as Andrew joins the program. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we doing? Doing good. What you got? Good. Well, first things first, I've been listening to the show for 10 plus years. Every time that, that uh, music hits at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, I feel like I'm, I'm entering the sports dojo. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, the biggest frustration I guess I have is that, number one, is that when you look at our team, is we have one of the youngest rosters in the league, one of the most athletic rosters in the league, and when it becomes – uh, a game when they're playing that it's a we or a me not we type of game. That's when they lose. These guys should be moving, cutting, passing, and you know really imploring their from two or three passes every offensive possession at least. But when I think mean, one of the worst things that happened to Anthony Edwards' career from the, from the jump is that he, he he gets the ball on the wing, tries to break the defender down, steps back, and he's made that three. Now he believes he can do it all the time. And that's when the ball sticks and it stops moving and we start losing. But at the end of the day, when you look at this series as it's unfolded so far, we have the better players, but the Grizzlies have the better team because they use, you know, they utilize each other on screens, pick and rolls, passing, team defense, all that. And we just haven't done that yet. And that's the frustrating part as far as I'm concerned is that it's a me, not we type of team so far. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it, Andrew. I think that's fair. I mean, it's funny, you, you look at the three games, and, and the Wolves were pretty much in control for two of the three games, right? I mean, obviously we know what happened Thursday night, but they've proven over 48 minutes that they can compete with this team. And and we see them go into me ball. We see them just, you know, lose their edge, if that's the right way to put it. You know, and just, they were just were a step slow Thursday night in the last 15 minutes of the game. And as we talked about to start the show, it was just like a, you know, a, ball rolling down a cliff like it could not stop and the coaching staff did not help them um we talked we we talked during the game thursday night and you know and you mentioned you know the, the reliance on beverly from an offensive standpoint and in a in a perfect world patrick beverly's probably coming off your bench right you he and beasley uh giving you sort of that that energy yes he defended morant terrifically but they dared him to shoot when they were making their run they said yeah it's a wide open three. Take it, Pat Bev, and and he, you know, he didn't have it going. So the reliance, I think, on Beverly, who's meant so much to this team. I take nothing no, no doubt. away no doubt. from what he has done. He's given this team a an edge and identity and all that. But in a playoff series, when you're late in the game and every possession matters, that's not the guy I want with the ball in his hands. It just isn't. And he can have the ball in his hand, but you know if he's your spot up shooter from the corner for a three point shot, well, that's what the defense is hoping mm-hmm. that you do. And 
coming down the stretch in that game when Memphis was making the run, you know, he was wide open. He couldn't knock down those open shots. But you know, even though, you know, as they say, Morant did not have, you know, a Morant-like game, but he was able still to put up a triple-double. And does Memphis have the mindset to say, hey, you know what? This team can't beat us. We don't care what they do. We don't care how far they get in front of us. We know we can make a run. We can push a few buttons here and there, and they just don't have what it takes to knock us off. Let's go back to game one. We said that the Wolves made every shot. Anthony Edwards was making a step-back three-point shot. McDaniels was knocking down open threes. Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns was having a heck of a game. But with a minute and 47 seconds to go, the Wolves only had a six-point lead. Yeah. And there was a, and there was a 50-50 ball. We got that 50-50 ball mm-hmm. because they disrupted what the Wolves want to do on their first initial push with the offense. If Memphis comes up with that turnover, they have numbers. They may shoot a three. If they knock it down, it's a three-point game. They get the layup, it's a four-point game. You still have a lot of time left to play. We got that 50-50 ball, made the extra pass. McDaniel knocks down the three-point shot. That kind of put the final nail in their coffin. But it seems like Memphis believes that at any, at any given time right now, we can catch this basketball team no matter how far ahead they are of, of us. Yeah, it's hard to dispute it. We and, saw it happen Thursday night. And for and 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 for the Wolves, you know, I'm, I just don't know if they have another offensive plan they can go to to stop major runs. You know, when when Memphis begins to make one of those runs, can they find Carl Anthony Towns? Can they put him in a comfortable situation now that Memphis has made? some adjustments with the defense on how they're going to defend him to make him a more productive player. If he's going to attract two or three guys, you got to put him in a situation where he can bring his teammates to the party and get them easier shots. And if they can knock down some standstill jump shots or force the defense to rotate here or there, get them out of position, get some driving angles to the basket, now that might loosen up the inside game for him to have a chance to go one-on-one. We'll talk more about what we might expect to see in Game 4, how the uh, Wolves react to uh, what happened Thursday night. Do they have a counterpunch in them? What's it like for a young team when you lose like that to have to bounce back uh, a couple nights later? Uh, we'll chat about what Game 4 might have in store for Wolves and Grizzlies tonight when we come back in the On the Fan. Eight forty-one on a Saturday morning. You're in the zone. Trent Tucker, Dave Sinekin, talking Wolves Grizzlies. How do the Wolves respond after Thursday night's collapse in Game Three to give Memphis back home court advantage? Game Four tonight, nine o'clock. Game Five back in Memphis Tuesday night at six thirty. 
And um, there is a wild game Tuesday, so there will be no Wolves after dark. Um, funny, the only time the Wolves won the game, uh, there was a Wolves after dark scheduled. So if it gets to a point where, you know, game six is down 3-2, got to have it, we may have to campaign for Wolves after dark. Wolves after dark after game six. Well, uh, you know, I, when you look at where the Wolves are, I mean, it was a devastating loss for sure. But if, if we can take any positivity, and try to move this into a, a positivity uh, category. Let's do that if we okay. can. It's that look at how you play game one and then take the two quarters that you've played very well, knowing that you can play with this team, knowing that you have some things that can hurt this team. And now you're just hoping you know, that the coaching staff can help you carry it home. Yeah, they don't give me a whole lot of belief after what I witnessed in the fourth quarter Thursday. Trent, they had nine points in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. until Ant hit a corner three at the end of the game. Nine points. It all depends what kind of shots are we taking. What kind of shots are we getting? See, because for you to score nine points, to me, that leads me to believe that you are not getting good shots or you're turning the ball over. You're not executing on the offensive end. You're not running any sets to force them to have to play deep into the shot clock from a defensive standpoint. When you're about 25 points, like you and I talked about the start of the show, the only way your team is going to have the chance to catch you is that they need quick possessions. And if your team is coming down taking quick shots, that's where you as a head coach, you have to step up and say, hey, hey, let's calm this thing down, slow this thing down, Let's go to play X, Y, and Z to get him not in a position to either make a play for himself or to make a play for someone else. We have to force them to play defense deep into the shot clock. If we continue to turn the ball over and take quick shots, they're going to catch us. We're going to give them a chance to get back into the game. You know, I've always talked about this. When you play basketball the right way, it's a simple game to play. Well, I want to take that a step further because we've, we've had this conversation over the years when things like this happen. The Wolves are the highest-scoring team in the league this year. They like to play fast. They like to score in transition. They shoot a ton of threes, as many as anybody in the NBA, and it served them well more often than not. But they're rarely, if ever, up 20 points in a really huge game like they were Thursday night. And so they've never been faced with the, well, maybe we should change our identity now that we have a 25-point lead and this team is scrambling for possessions and trying to get back in this game. Maybe we shouldn't play and shoot those wide-open threes, even though they're there. Maybe we should work the clock a little bit, make a few passes, maybe get the ball inside to Carl, and they'll be forced to follow him, or he'll kick it out to an even more open player. It's just not something they've had to deal with, and maybe some coaches aren't comfortable with changing their identity. No, this is who we are. It's what's got us here. But, man, come playoffs, it's a different game, and you've got to understand the situation and go, you are playing right into their hands. They're daring Patrick Beverly to shoot threes right now, and you're playing right into their hands, figure out something to do to frustrate them and take back control of this game, and the coaching staff failed to do that. Well, you should have that in your back pocket anyway. You know, you, you should understand that we have the, the number one scoring team in the NBA, but we're the seventh seed in the Western Conference. We're not the number one seed, you know, with the highest scoring, you know, average point average per team in the league. So no matter how fast you want to play, you still have to have another game you can go to when you feel like the game number one or your A game is beginning to struggle. 
I take you back to when I played with for Rick Pitino in New York. We were pressing and trapping. We were shooting threes. We were playing fast. He changed the whole team for us to go small. We were one of the first few teams to play small ball. Get up and down the floor, shoot as many threes as you can. The Wolves have an all-star center. The Wolves have a potential Hall of Fame center. I'm not saying he's good as the guy I played with, with number 33 in New York. But they are on the same line what their careers are going to look like when it's all said and done. Mm. If we had a huge lead and all of a sudden that team scored two or three quick baskets, now maybe we were old enough, seasoned enough to understand the moment. We've got to wait for number 33 this time. Yeah, i got a wide open three. I one of the top three-point shooters in the history of the game. This is the wrong shot to take right now. You know why? Because I've been coached through this moment to understand what's a good shot and what's a bad shot in a certain situation. The Wolves have an all-star center that has potential to be a Hall of Fame type player. They have to understand how to use him, put him in the right position so that he can help them, so he can help carry this team home in close situations. Yeah, it's a young team. It's a young coaching staff. I think we felt all of that. Thursday night, not a, an well, ability like you say, to... He's been around long enough. Yeah, no, agreed, but not in moments like this. When, you right. know, game three of a series, chance to win back home court, they did not know how to he handle was, their business. He played with... He, he, he was on the Nick Nurse, right? Yep. In Toronto. Did they yep. win a championship? They did. Who did they have on their team? They knew to get that ball to Kawhi Leonard. And, and Toronto shot threes all over the place. But when it came down to getting a basket, knowing that we got to go to a set, we need a shot now. Do we have a play with inside of our offense that can get us a good shot for one of our best players? You have to have that in your back pocket. You have to. It's a must. To the zone lines we go. Let's welcome uh, uh, Wolves Rube, Cy Amundsen, checking in again this Saturday morning. Cy, have we we calmed down at all? How are we feeling uh, as we get set for game four? I am I am calling to get my feelings out here so I don't emotionally blow up your phone later. <laughs> that is that is my goal. It, guys, it is so great to listen to this breakdown. The first 15 minutes, Trent, what you're saying right here, because I feel like there's so much emphasis on towns, and there should be. You know, there's an emotional immaturity and some things there, and D-Lo in the first two games, but it's it's chicken and the egg, and to me, the chicken is Finch. And I know he's a great culture guy, but this is when I was kind of like half excited, half freaking out after the first game, I felt the same thing. And to Trent's point, like everybody's talking the fourth quarter, those last three minutes of the third quarter, if you get two or three good long shot shot clock possessions with good looks, the game's over in that moment. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember, I remember, and Trent, you can speak to this, even, even having, I'm sure not played in the analytics age, but I, John Luer was on my show years ago and he talked about even when he was with the Bucks as like a new guy in the league, like a second or third string big man, they knew that if they would clear out, flash him from the right block to the left elbow and get him on a rip through, he could be in a position to either create a shot for himself or somebody else. And, and that's like one of the least important spots on their team. So this team either should or does know where to put, especially Cat, Ant, and D'Lo, in a position to succeed. They know their spots on the floor. And I, I just, 
he's a dude's a great culture guy. He's a great locker room guy. He's a good adjustment guy. But a lot of the Wolves' losses, not just this 20-point lead, feels like they've been about this issue all year long. Yeah, you know, I think that I think that's fair. I think we've seen it, and um, you know, maybe you have to go through it as a coach to understand it. But man, I I thought he had more chops than that. Again, working under Nurse, going through long playoff series, understanding the ebbs and flows of a series, and and knowing your personnel like we think Finch does. He's gotten a lot out of these guys throughout the year. Um, it was just almost malpractice Thursday night to me as a head coach watching that game get away from them. And can I ask a dramatic question? Because that's my personality. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> the NBA, it's, it's not the NFL. Your windows are so small. And I, I think Finch deserves the opportunity in the series and next year to show growth and who he is. But you look at what the, the decision the Warriors made with Mark Jackson and the decision the Oklahoma City didn't make with Scott Brooks. And you don't have in a small market in the NBA, an ability to play through coaching malpractice for multiple seasons in a row, you lose your stars. Is that any worry for you guys outside of giving him the opportunity to, to right the ship? Thanks for the call, Si. I appreciate that very much. Well, you have your best player right now, I believe, locked up you know, for multiple years, and I think he's going to be around at least, at least three more years. You have Anthony Edwards still on his rookie contract, so he's going to be around a little while longer. And if D'Angelo Russell is your third guy or, or the big three, he's going to be around maybe two or three more years as well. But at the end of the day, the coach has to help you get home at every level. Yeah, he can allow you to play. He helps you grow. He lets the team have some moments here and there where they can kind of be free-flowing. But when it comes down to winning time, and I have guys who have not been here before, I have to help them understand the moment that they're in. That's why you get the big bucks. That's why you move from one seat to the next. It's because, see, I need for you now to manage this game the right way. And lucky for me as a player from high school through college, and through the NBA, I, I had those guys who understood those moments. And it helped me grow as a player to understand what I needed to do when I was in those situations. And when you're up by 25 points, you know, you have to slow the game down. I can't keep playing the same way. And, let's, and look at the Denver Nuggets. They say, well, yeah, I got Jokic, 37 points, 18 rebounds. But when the game is in a situation where we need for him to attack a smaller player, we put him in the same position as if he's playing against a bigger player. He's not going to beat Draymond Green one-on-one from 15 feet. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So why would you run the same offense for him against Draymond Green that you're going to run against a guy you know he can beat one-on-one? That's where coaching comes into play. You have to understand the time and the situation to put your best player in a, in a position where he can help himself and help his team. Yeah, I think a lot of coaches go into a game with a game plan, and they just, whether it's just being, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be stubborn. I'm not going to change mid-game. This is what we believe was going to do it for us when we went in, and we're going to run with it. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Finch. I mean, big picture, 26 wins to 46 wins. The culture there, the fact that this team 
is obviously well, I'm not saying you get rid of him. Yeah, they, they've grown a lot, but, but there, there's needs, more growing but, that needs to be done needs, all he, over. We, we can't wait for him to grow next year. He's got to grow tonight. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got a, <laughs> a minute or so left in this segment. If you're Chris Finch, what do you tell Because that was a devastating loss for these young guys. And to pick themselves up and come in tonight with the season basically on the line, as it really is, you'd fall down 3-1 going back to Memphis, uh, we ain't coming back for a game six. So how do you get these guys head straight, and, and what do you tell them heading into game four? I talk about all the good things that we have done so far in this series. And then I sit down with my own self and say, hey, you know what, i got to manage this game a whole lot differently when we get, a, when we get ourselves in the position to win. you got a mirror in front of you, so you're looking yeah, at yourself? Yeah, i got to talk to myself as well. Because, you know, you tell the players, we've done a lot of good things you know, to put ourselves in this situation. We've done some not-so-good things as well to find ourselves down two games to one. But some of, some of the reason why we're down two games to one falls on my shoulders. So I have to be a better coach in certain situations to help my team win. 8.54, we'll pause here. We'll come back, take a look at the rest of the NBA playoff series. Is it the last team standing that's going to win? Every team basically is dealing with an injury. We'll chat about uh, where we're at one week into the NBA playoffs. And if any of our impressions heading into the playoffs have changed at all in light of what we've seen and the injuries that are taking their toll, we'll come back and uh, look at the rest of the NBA in the Zone. the fan. to go hour one was all wolves it'll be a uh, downloadable podcastable shortly if you missed it we'll uh, circle back at the end of the show looking ahead to game four tonight uh but double t a week ago when we were here the uh, nba playoffs had not yet started we are a week in now and we've learned a few things and i think my first question to you is is the most impressive team so far in the postseason the golden state warriors I would say the most impressive team for me right now, based on after last night's performances from certain teams, are your Milwaukee See, Bucks. Stop it now. I, I, I'm i not joking. I mean, last night was a fantastic statement answer by the Bucks, and but the they re- were not very good in the first two games. The Denver Nuggets are the sixth best team in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets not a strong defensive team. It's a perfect matchup for the Golden State Warriors. So you're not all that impressed? I'm impressed, but based on the question that you asked, yeah. right now it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay. It's because you know you lose Chris Milton maybe for the rest of the first round. Well, for sure the first round. Okay. And who knows? I mean, we'll talk about it. It's a big story if it's the more than that. gets 41 in game two. Yep. Caruso is making all sorts of plays here and there. Man, is he good. They're calling him the White Mamba. Okay. <laughs> you know, Zach Levine drops the 20s and the Vucevic knocks down 24. Everybody said, now the series is over. Milwaukee is done. You know, long live the king. The king is over in Milwaukee. There's yeah. no way Giannis can bounce back. They're up by 30. So to come out with that type of performance, you know, to refocus, understand that, hey, you know, 
We've been here before. We know what we need to do. Giannis is taking that ball where? Going to the basket. Now Giannis is floating around every now and then with a three-point shot. But when but but, but when, they, when when he gets serious, the coaching staff know exactly where to put their ball at, and they are going straight to the back. Giannis is going into the paint. And if they take it away, you make that pass out for guys to get open good shots. But the Phoenix Suns showed up last night as well, you know, without Devin Booker. It's a young team they playing against from, from New Orleans. And I think Phoenix, you know, will find a way to get through this first-round matchup. It may take them six games to do it. You know, but last night was a, was a big bounce-back game for them as well. But so far, the Milwaukee Bucks, what they were able to do last night on the road and how they dismantled the Chicago Bulls, it was very impressive. Yeah, it was really encouraging for me as a Bucks fan to watch because I was discouraged after the first two games. The Bulls came in as the worst defensive team in the playoffs, and they were playing shutdown defensive ball against the Bucks in Milwaukee. Almost stole game one, earned the win in game two. Middleton goes down, and now they're back home. Yeah, they've been swept by the Bucks this year in the regular season, but coming in with all the confidence in the world off of that win by DeRozan, Caruso's health. You know, the fact that Grayson Allen's the guy that broke his wrist, you know, they've got that um, that bit of edge to them against the Bucks this year. And um, what the Bucks did last night was beyond impressive. And it was funny that it was Grayson Allen, who was the star offensively, scored 22 points, the game's high scorer, 8 for 12 from the floor, just daggered them left and right. It was a night where Giannis, you know, I think he had 18, 19 points. They didn't need him to do a ton. The Bucks went big with Bobby Portis starting in place of Chris Middleton. That flummoxed the Bulls. Um, they couldn't do anything. DeRozan, 11 points on four for nine shooting off that 41-point night. Um, that That's astounding what the Bucks did defensively to him, making him go left, taking away both he and Levine, taking away their right hand and saying, go left and try to beat us. They they adapted. They found a way to you know, punch back at the Bulls. What you life. just said is hoopology one-on-one. You've taught me well, man. <laughs> At least I've observed something hey, in that quarter century. Force a guy to go to a weaker part of his game to see if you can beat him. Not right. saying that you're going to stop him, but you put him in a, a much tougher position now to execute. But as you said, Giannis didn't have the big night. They didn't need Giannis to go out and score 30 or 35. But by Giannis going inside early, forced that defense to collapse. All of a sudden now, Grayson Allen. The other perimeter players, they found space for open jump shots. They found driving lanes. Just because the, the Milwaukee Bucks decided, hey, we're going to diversify our offense. Now, the Bucks love to shoot three-point shots as well. But tonight, this cannot be a three-point shooting game. We have got to take that ball to the basket. And by going to the basket, we're going to force the Chicago Bulls to defend us differently. And now it's going to open up some things for the rest of our team. The loss of Chris Middleton is not going to cost the Bucks in this Bulls series. However, the sprained MCL, which will be reevaluated in two weeks, tells me that they probably can't count on him in the next series, which is likely a meeting up with the Boston Celtics, who, you know, that game one last weekend against Brooklyn had the feel of a game seven Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, for sure. And we talked about it. Everybody knows. I mean, this was the series to watch. It was a very rare 2-7 because Brooklyn dealt with all they dealt with, and they're obviously more talented than a seven seed. But that game, Kyrie Irving on one side, and uh, really a host of Celtics on the other side. It wasn't really a, just a Jason Tatum game. It was Marcus Smart. It was everybody. That that Boston team, which I believe is coming out of the East, you know, did just enough and got the first buzzer beater 
in Boston Celtics home history. That's unbelievable. They've never won a playoff game at the buzzer before until that game won. They were too good. They were too good. <laughs> and uh, and they they held on and, and won game two as well. So game three is tonight in Brooklyn. Um, the interesting subplot in this series is who might be coming back. Maybe not tonight. Maybe tonight. Robert Williams, their center, who had the uh, torn meniscus, is um, likely to be back tonight on a rotation or a um, a minutes restriction a little bit. He's not going to play normal, but they think by game four, they'll have Williams, their starting center, back. And Ben Simmons likely to return for the game very four, first time yeah. in a Nets uniform in game four. So mid-series for both teams to have key players making a, uh, in one case, first game in almost 12 months for Ben Simmons. Can this move the needle at all? What are you expecting the rest of the way in this series? Well, I don't know if 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 Steve Nash can do this. You know, he's a, a wide-upping guy. He played for Mike D'Antoni. He likes to play up and down the floor, a lot of one-on-one spacing out, using his guys with their skill sets. Kevin Durant is seven feet tall. And the first two games, based on how the Nets have played all season long, the Boston Celtics have taken that game away. I've never seen Durant struggle like I've seen him struggle. Not just shooting, or he can't keep his hands on the ball. They are really because they, bothering be, because they are they are physical with him. They're knocking him off his spot. They are coming with the extra guy very quickly. So if they are taking the game away that Kevin Durant plays so well throughout the regular season, we're going to go back to what you and I talked about at the start of this broadcast about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Will the Nets find a way to diversify their offense to put Kevin Durant in a better position where he can function on the offensive end? And they've got a coach that's, you know, MVP player, but he hasn't proven anything as so, a coach in the playoffs either, right? So now if I if Kevin Durant, every time he catches the ball, he's not looking first to see what the defense is doing. He's not looking to see if I can find an open teammate. As soon as he and Kyrie Irving catches the basketball, the first thing they do is look to put the ball down on the floor and go one-on-one. The Boston Celtics have taken that game away so far away from Kevin Durant. We have to put Kevin Durant now in a different position where he can go to another part of his game as a post-up player. Who's guarding Kevin Durant? Marcus Smart sometimes. You might have... Jason Tatum, you might have Jalen Brown, but he is taller than all three of those players. Mm-hmm. Put him on the block, and then shoot his turnaround jump shot, post him up, see if he can see if he can do some work from there. Now, if they come with the double team, he can see where the double team is coming from. When you are twisting and turning in the middle of the floor, trying to spin away from one guy, you don't know where the help is coming from. So that can lead to turnovers. But when I can locate where you're coming from, from a second or third defender. Now I can pick out my open shooters. They have two guys who can really shoot the basketball. Curry and um, what's the other guy named? Uh, Bruce Brown? No, no, I forgot from San Antonio. Um, why am I? Um, I blanked on him. Yeah, I did too. Patty Mills. Uh, Patty Mills. Yep. Patty Mills. Yep, you beat me. You put those two guys around Kevin Durant as a post-up player. See, now you got yourself something. Now you're going to force the Boston the Celtics to defend you from different positions on the floor. You can't stay with the same thing when it's not going well for you and expect something different. Yeah, it's a recurring theme. <laughs> Definitely a recurring theme today for sure. Well, what do you do with Ben Simmons, though? I mean, 
to me, it just seems really strange. In the middle of a series, a guy that you just traded for, he hasn't been on the court. We know he had issues between the ears as well as physically the last time he played. Do you just throw him out there and see what you got? They haven't practiced much with him. It just seems really incongruous that you think that you could just plop Ben Simmons into your lineup when you're down 2-0 and it'll be I, you know, four, right game now, four, right, I guess. Maybe right now they're, they're trying to see whatever we can throw up against the wall and see if it sticks. No, you. I mean, you lost by what one point in game in in, in game one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were up by seventeen in game two, so you have some ingredients that you're working with that can help you win ball games. But when they begin to take this away from us, how do we counter? Well, I got a a very unique seven foot skill guy that not only can take you off the dribble and shoot from 25 feet or 18 feet, but also he has a post-up game. Let's see if they can guard him on the post-up. Now we're going to force the Boston Celtics to make some adjustments with their defense. Where's the double teams coming from? Okay, now, Kevin, when they come from this side, this guy's going to be open. Catch the ball first, locate. You don't need to go fast because you can see over everybody. You got spot-up shooters everywhere. So now the Boston Celtics have to stay home. They have to be honest. When you have guys who can spot up and shoot, it's in the defensive mind. Do I go double or do I stay home? Just because I put Kevin Durant in a different position on the floor to force the defense not to think about what they need to do to contain us. I think Durant bounces back tonight. I think the Nets bounce back tonight, but I still think Boston moves on in this series. I still think they're the best team in the East, and I think they're coming out of the East. I think, again, it's going to be – who can stay healthy? And Boston's getting healthier, getting Robert Williams back. The other contenders, we talked about Middleton. Um, Joel Embiid is dealing with a thumb injury. He's going to get an MRI next week. He says he's absolutely playing today as the Sixers look to sweep up the Raptors, who lost Scotty Barnes. They're a great rookie in the first game. Uh, Gary Trent has not been 100% healthy. And that tends to be the storyline in the playoffs, is who can uh, avoid can the, healthy, the catastrophic right? injury. If if. If Embiid's thumb gets worse and and he's not Embiid anymore, well, that changes the entire narrative around Philly because they've looked really good in this series. A series I gave the Raptors a really good chance to steal. Again, injuries, Scotty yeah, Barnes, right. uh-huh. Brent, all that. Um, but that's something to watch. But Phillies looked very good their first three games. There were question marks about the way they finished their season, uh, how Harden and Embiid were coexisting. Um, but it appears they're going to make their way with the Raptors and move on. The other series had another injury last night. Kyle Lowry goes down with a hamstring injury late third quarter of a close game in Atlanta. At the end of the quarter when he went out, went on a 6-1 run, and then they outscored him by like 11 in the fourth quarter. It takes a Trey Young floater in the closing seconds, and then Jimmy Butler with a off-balance heave Ling. at the end trying to win it. And uh, Trey Young and the, and the Hawks escape and get back into that series 2-1, to one. but now... Lowry's hamstring injury. Where where is that? That suddenly Miami looks a little bit vulnerable. It's just um, every game you got to hold your breath. But the guy who has to come to the party now for the Miami Heat, based on how they play, you know, Pat Riley, you know, throughout his career has not really been known as a, a three point big time three point shooting guy. But where's Duncan Robinson? He's the guy that has to come through now. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tyler Hero's doing his thing, and like I said, Kyle Lowry's going down maybe with a hamstring injury. Could be lost for the rest of the series as well. You know, Duncan Robinson was so good for them in the bubble. They're going to need him now 
to show up in the ATL as well. Yeah. That was the mouse that shot. He has not been the same player this year. They're bringing him off the bench, and it's just a different vibe. They brought, obviously, Tucker in and Lowry in, and they've got, you know, playoff tested guys that are, are playing for them, but that's a weapon that they they sorely need in the playoffs. Well, and, you know, before, you know, he was taking a lot of shots off the dribble, making a lot of long shots here and there, and maybe if the defense has figured him out, and making it much tougher for him now to get clean looks off the dribble, set some screens for him. You have some big guys. Tucker's a guy that has a big body. Bam has a big body. You know, hey, free him up. You know, when you have guys who can shoot and who are who are good off the bounce, you don't want them to have to work so hard to get their shots. You know, get your shooters some easy shots. Get them some easy looks at the basket, especially early in early part of the game, so you can build the confidence. And, you know, I played against some of the greatest players to ever play. You know, Larry Bird, George Gervin, just to name a few. You know, they ran plays for those guys to get shots. They didn't just come down every single time and play one-on-one basketball. Mm -hmm. That is hard to do. It's hard to do. You have to get your best players or or your best shooters some easy shots, especially at the start of the ball game. So they can get themselves into the game and build their confidence from there. And the Wolves could look at that tonight. Get some touches to Cat early, whether it's inside or a you know put him down low. I prefer that, but yeah. if it's a three, I don't want, I don't want him coming out shooting three points. I know he loves I'll take it. I, I know he loves the three. Yeah, you know. But hey, big fella, we trying to win here. You know, this is not about the three point shooting contest. Right. You know, this is about the, the front of the name on the jersey, more so than the back of the name on the jersey. Hey, you know. Uh, we we need to win here. So I got to put you in a different situation so that you can help us and help yourself as well. We'll pause here at 916, come back, take a look at the Western Conference playoffs. Again, injuries, including uh, Devin Booker telling the story there, but we'll take a look at uh, who's impressed on the Western side when we come back. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And the band. Twenty-two on a Saturday morning. Thanks for spending part of your Saturday with us. Trent Tucker, Dave Sinekin. We are with you till 10 o'clock. Beyond the Pond follows us. Fallness, Micheletti, talking all things wild in NHL. And then Saturdays with Sauce at noon. I'm guessing Vikings draft talk will dominate as well as some Wolves conversation as well. Wild beat uh, the Kraken last night. 6-3, scoring five in the second. Five assists for Fiala. Kaprizov, the Wilds' first 100-point player. They have the most wins, most points in team history. All good with the Wild. Twins beat the White Sox 2-1. to one. They've got an actual, real win streak at two games 
not all negativity. Uh, the Wolves will try to keep uh, the positivity flowing tonight as they uh, resume Game 4, and we'll uh, close the show on that. Uh, we're looking at the Western Conference right now, Double T. Um, last night, the Suns went into New Orleans without their best player. Devin Booker has a hamstring injury. It looks like a two- to three-week injury. I'm of the opinion that they can win this series and the next uh, against the Dallas-Utah winner with or without Devin Booker. Um, I think where the game turned last night happened late in the third quarter when young Jackson Hayes lost his mind and <laughs> shoved Jay Crowder for no reason and got ejected. And that certainly woke up the Bear and certainly woke up Chris Paul, who went on to score 19 points in the fourth quarter, and the Suns escaped with a 114-111 win to grab home court back in that series. Uh, Phoenix has been the best team in basketball all year long. But losing Devin Booker, you know, is an obvious blow, and it's a big, it's a big loss. And they're going to struggle. This series, I think, is going to be difficult. They'll they'll win it, but I don't think they're going to win it in five. I, I think they, this might be a seven game grind now for them, and it might come back. Assuming he comes back at some point, and I think they'll move on all the way to the Western Conference Finals. But how much gets taken out of them in this series because of this injury might be cause for concern down the road in the playoffs for them. Well, I'm going to stick with my theme, you know, even in, in this series. Chris Paul was fantastic in game number one, right? Yes. Chris Paul was fantastic in game number three. They run a steady diet of pick and roll. He comes off the left side. He comes across the lane, goes to his right hand. The guy defending him gets hung up on the screen. The guy defending the screener is in the lane. Chris Paul is shooting 12 to 15 foot jump shots with nobody around him. He'll make 99 out of 100 of those. So when will the New Orleans Pelicans learn how to defend him differently? This is the theme today. It really is. Adjustments, right? Take away what's hurting you. It seems rather elementary. So, why, so if your big guy is afraid to get up in space and guard, then use somebody who's 6'9 to 6'10 that is mobile that can get up and defend the pick and roll. Trap Chris Paul every single time. Make him pick up his dribble. Chris Paul is laughing at you when you allow him mm. to go from left to right, come across the lane. The big guy drops back toward the basket. The guy who's guarding him gets hung up on the screen, and he scores 19 points because there is nobody that can contest his shot at 12 feet. You think Chris Paul is going to miss that shot? Not too often. Okay, so... Help me understand here. All right, again, young coach in New Orleans. Is that the theme? We've got untested coaches that are not adept I mean, at in-game adjustments? I mean, because you see this every single time when you play against this player. They're going to run the pick and roll. He's going to get back to his right hand. He's going to start left. He's going to weave his way across. The guy's not going to fight over the screen. The big guy's not going to get up there and hedge. He's going to draw back to the toward the basket. Chris Paul is shooting a 12 to 15 foot jump shot by himself. Then you go underneath the screen. He'll shoot a three. Chris Paul is laughing at y'all. He said, I can't believe that you guys are still defending me the same way. Don't y'all know who I am? Yeah, it's kind of a head scratcher. I'm CP3. He showed us last year in the playoffs, same exact thing. So get up, force him to pick up his dribble. If DeAndre Aiden is going to set the pick at 25 feet, 
force Chris Paul to pick up his dribble, pass the ball to DeAndre Aiden at 25 feet. He can't make a play from there. If you try and decide that you're going to try Chris Paul at 12 feet, well, he'll throw, he, throw the lob pass to what the rim. DeAndre Aiden can make a play from there. I think Aiden had 22 in the first half, so that was that was working early for them. They were finding him so, early enough. But you've got to take the ball. You have got to stop Chris Paul from penetrating. He's not just going to blow by you. He's had to weave through you, trap him, make him pick up his dribble. He passes the ball, did not a return pass. You don't let him catch it back. Yeah, it's um, it's astounding. We see it, and you talk about it almost every series. There's there's some guy that's getting to do whatever he wants to do, and the other team seems to have no answer, no response. Say again, basketball is a simple game when you play it the right way. Seems to be. Uh, we we touched on Golden State. They are up 3-0 on the Denver Nuggets, and Steph Curry has just started to get more comfortable and getting more minutes. I like him coming off the bench. Well, I, I kind of do, too. It, it's a perfect role for him right now. For, for right now? Right now. Yeah, once he has his conditioning How back. Is he, is he 30, 31? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I don't know. He's still going to play 30-plus minutes a game, right? Yep. Why not come off the bench? He's still going to be the, your best player, your number one scoring option. Comes in, especially during the regular season. He's and if you if you take let's say if you take this into next season, he's coming off the bench. Playing against second line guys. He's, that's not gonna happen. You got a hall you got a Hall of Famer playing against second line guys. I know, but the game that's not gonna happen. That Steph Curry will be starting in these playoffs sooner rather than later. Where I want to go with is a year ago Jordan Poole was in the G League. And and right now Jordan Poole is one of the stories of these playoffs. That's true. He looks like Steph Curry. I it's funny, about a month ago, I was musing about the best players to ever come out of Milwaukee because the list is not long. It's not a, a great history of, of great ball players out of Milwaukee, but my thought was Tyler Hero might end up being, you know, when all said and done. Or the trail Spree, well. Yeah, Spree's in the conversation. Yeah. And there's a few guys in the conversation, but just watching Hero's emergence after a tough sophomore season, the sixth man of the year, and, and he's really good. Well, Instagram took over for him in the second season. He That's became, true. He became, an he became a social, right. yeah. Right. Right. But, but where I'm going here is I, I was sleeping on Jordan Poole, who's also a Milwaukee kid who went to Michigan and, and maybe came out a year earlier than many people thought, and he was a late first-round pick. And he looks like a superstar in the making right now. What he is doing in He's Golden State, good. you know, forget being able to shoot threes. He can get to the basket. He makes good decisions. And nice to the flip shot the other night. Oh, he's just a star in the making. And it's just, you, you You look at Golden State and, you know, Green hasn't been healthy all year and now Steph's banged up and now they're starting to look like Golden State again. And they're starting to look really, really dangerous. And, you know, if I was, uh, you know, the two seed and the the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, dealing with the Wolves right now and figure they'll, they'll figure a way to get past them, they're going to have their hands full right now with Jordan Poole and Steph Curry in that group right now. You know, there were three big plays at the end of that game that allowed Golden State to go up 3-0. And two of those plays was, were made by your former guy, Andrew Wiggins, former T-Wolf, and then the big strip by Draymond Green. The three-point shot to give the Warriors a one-point lead. Yep. And then that huge offensive hustle rebound that he got yes. to allow Jordan Poole to, to get to the basket to do what he did to keep Golden State ahead. And then Draymond Green plays very good defense on Jokic and open space to knock the ball away. So at this time of the year, you know, you know, your best players and your stars have to be at their best. But someone someone else may have to come up with a hustle play here or there to make a difference. And, and Andrew Wiggins made two out of, out of those three key plays 
to allow his team to go at 3-0. Yeah, no doubt. Can't take that away from him. Uh, the last series to look at, Dallas-Utah. Luka, a game-time decision for the uh, 3.30 Who start. Who needs Luka? They, they apparently Brunson. don't. Yeah, um, that, talk about stars being made in the playoffs. He leads the list. I mean, Poole's right there, too. Uh, but Jalen Brunson throwing up 40 burgers on the Utah Jazz right now with, <laughs> with Luka out. Um, again, just another great story of a terrific college player who was undersized and, you know, it's been taking him a little while to maybe find his footing. But right now, where would Dallas be without Jalen Brunson? I mean, oh, they're they're they're, they're down three zero. They probably would, and they're up two one without Luca, and now they're likely to get him back today, if not today, game five. And Dallas is kind of right of the ship, finding a guy willing to just take on that role of being the the alpha with, with Luca out. It's been a yeah, really fun to watch him sort of spread his wings in this series. You know, you make your money during the regular season, but you make your name during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And 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 Brunson has been huge for for the Dallas Mavericks. He's been very aggressive. He's been determined to get to his spots on the floor, and he has taken this team and put the weight on his shoulders without Luca to to try to get them to to the finish line. You know, Utah over the last two or three years. You know, great regular season team. Yeah, they're but, confounding. But they when really it comes are. to playoff basketball, something's just missing. I just don't know if, if Quinn Snyder is the right coach, you know, that they can get this team over the hump. Maybe they'll let him go to L.A. and coach the Lakers next season. Well, the same thing's going to happen in L.A. It's going to an older team, and they could flame out their playoff time once again. Before we pause, let's head to the zone lines um, because Jeff would like to chat about the Bucks bull series. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Dave. I was just thinking about this Bucks Bulls series and the injury to Chris Middleton. What the best strategy would be, and I was wondering, get your opinion if uh, the Bucks were to take this series to seven games, or if this series was to go to seven games, I'm pretty sure the Bucks could win the game seven. Would that be their best strategy to help Chris Middleton get back on the court to give him the most time to heal? Could you give me your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling. We did touch on this series a bit earlier. Um, I think there's no question what Milwaukee showed last night. They can beat the Bulls without Chris Middleton. And, you know, they're not going to play that well every game. I think they were embarrassed after game two. I think they wanted to make a statement last night. They brought in Bobby Portis to replace Middleton in that starting lineup. They went big. Portis, I think, had eight and six in the first quarter. Uh, The former Bull kind of made a statement there. And then Grayson Allen uh, took over off the bench and they were able to withstand the loss of Middleton and, and they'll beat the Bulls without Chris Middleton. I have no doubts about it won't that. Go seven. It will not go seven games, but they absolutely will not beat the, the Boston Celtics or the Brooklyn nuts without Chris Middleton. And there's no guarantee he'll be back. They, we have no idea. He's out indefinitely. They're going to reevaluate in two weeks. Well, in two weeks, we're going to be knee deep in these, the semifinals of the Eastern conference. And uh, I just don't give my bucks a chance to, to beat Boston four times without Chris Middleton in the playoffs. So I think it's a big loss, and maybe they'll rise up. And, and, and It's a big loss for sure. I just think Boston's just too good defensively, and in and, and their matchups with Milwaukee this year, when Milwaukee was healthy and Boston wasn't, you know, games where Tatum missed, they still were in the game where they won a game because they just understand how to kind of not take Giannis out of the game, but make him uncomfortable, whether it's Robert Williams, Grant Williams, They've got guys, and they know how to defend Giannis and make him get the ball out of his hands and make other guys beat you. And if Middleton's not one of those guys, Holiday can't do it night in, night out. He has games where he just cannot find it. And now you're counting on some of the bit players to to step up. They're playing without George Hill right now. They still got Lopez. 
Yeah, and Lopez is big. No, and he's been huge, and he had a great night last night. Go big, and you go big, and you slow the game down. I just think it's going to be tough to beat a Boston or a Brooklyn in a seven-game series if you don't have Chris Middleton. Well, it's tough to beat them, you know, even even with Chris Middleton. But what I saw Giannis do in the NBA Finals in the closeout game when he got fifty, I'm not counting Giannis out against anybody. Tough to bet against him because. Giannis has to understand this one, and I think he has made these adjustments over the last few years. Giannis, a couple years ago, was a runaway freight train. He tried to do too much too far away from the basket. I'm going to take you off your dribble. I'm just going to put my head down and plow everybody. Giannis, one or two things are going to happen to you. You're going to get hurt, or you're going to be on the bench and foul trouble. I think he's learned now how to make those adjustments in this game. I just can't run over everybody. It's not just going to happen. Yeah, I'm a great athlete, but you know what? I'm playing against great athletes as well who can move their feet and get their bodies in front. Put Giannis down low. Let's go big now. You know, Boston is not the biggest team in the NBA. So we're going to force these smaller guys to have to guard the best, the, one of the best players in the game down low. And Giannis go to work from there. I saw Giannis get 50. And if they have to come double team, Brooke Lopez, a three-point shooter, you know, Grayson Allen can knock down some three-point shots. Pat Connaughton, yeah, they so got the Milwaukee guys. Bucks have surrounded guys around Giannis that can knock down three-point shots. Yeah, Chris Milton would be a huge loss if he can't play. But still not going to count out the Greek freak. Got a boy. Love to hear it. And Giannis, I trust. Yeah. We'll pause here one final time. We'll come back. Quick thoughts on what the Vikings and Packers might be looking to do Thursday night. By the time we sit down here next Saturday, we'll be getting set for a day three of the draft. We'll know all about uh, what the Vikings and Packers did over the first two days. So we'll chat about that and wrap things up on Wolves-Grizzlies for final segment in the zone. On the fan. With you at 943, final segment in the zone. Tucker and Senekin on a dark and dreary and threatening Saturday morning, the final Saturday in April. Double T, the NFL draft is this week. The fan has learned Thursday night, round one, Friday night, rounds two and three, meaning next Saturday morning we'll have lots to talk about on the players the Vikings have added to their roster and the Packers uh, for my purposes as well. Uh, we know the Vikings have the 12th pick. Last week, we were discussing Derek Stingler Jr., the, the cornerback from LSU, okay. who throughout this pre-draft process has been mocked to the Vikings for a number of reasons. The, the LSU connection, they've got a coach uh, that coached him at LSU, the Patrick Peterson, the um, the line of LSU players, um, Justin Jefferson, et cetera. That, that program has been good to the Vikings. And it looked like Stingley, the second cornerback off the board, might be there for the Vikes at 12. Well, in the ensuing week, as happens, Stingley now, many believe, is going to be gone at number five to the uh, Giants. Uh, at least will be long gone before the, the Vikings pick at 12. New York football Giants? Correct. There's okay. Many believe that they or the Jets will take Stingley 
looking at the upside, as a 19-year-old freshman, he had the best year of any cornerback in the Whoa, country. He's 19? No, as a freshman oh, okay. when he was 18 or 19 okay, in 2019. Okay. Uh, he was going up against SEC, you know, NFL type receivers and shutting them down. Okay. Um, injuries the last couple of years have really clouded his production and his future, but uh, his pro day went such that now people believe that no one's going to sleep on Derek Stingley and that the Vikes have no shot at him. Whether that's true or not, we'll find out Thursday night. Okay. But if he's gone, and now you're scrambling as a Viking fan to think, well, what are they going to do at 12? Because the next cornerback on the list is a kid named Trent McDuffie out of the University of Washington. I like his first name. I know you. Let's I knew you would. Him, let's take him right away. Correct. And they might. They might just say, we need a corner. He, We love him. He fits the way we want to play. We'll take McDuffie at 12. Uh, some think if that's your guy, you can trade back to like 1920 maybe and get him. That He's unlikely to go any higher than that. Any lower than the, the, no one, yeah, correct. No one's going to take him maybe in the teens because those teams have other needs, other players they're they're targeting, and that if you let's say, let's say the Vikes are on the clock and Malik Willis, the quarterback, is out there and the Steelers want him and they're afraid to wait in case New Orleans with two picks takes him and they come up to twelve and say we'll give you our twentieth pick and whatever the math is, a third rounder, a fifth rounder as well, whatever it is to even out, and we'll let you drop down to twenty. We'll take Malik Willis at twelve. And you've got the 20th pick. Well, then at 20, McDuffie probably makes a lot of sense because that's where he's kind of slotted to go, is right around okay. the 20th slot. And I think that's, to me... Does they have the salary cap as well? Yeah, well, yeah if you're, you're paying the rookie less, if you're paying okay. a guy at 20 than 12, I don't think it's a huge difference. But I think we don't know how Quasey's going to draft. That's one of the the intrigue of a new GM is, true. first draft, what's he feeling? Is he going to move around a little bit? You know, does the, he from, does he have San Francisco ties? He has San Francisco ties. He does. Does yep. Sanders want to be traded? Does who want to be traded? Sanders from San Francisco. What's oh, it, what? Debo Samuel. Yeah. Uh, Samuel. Debo, Debo, I said Sanders. Samuel. Yeah, Debo yeah. Samuel wants out. Samuel, yeah. Um, the Niners right now have shown no inclinations to trade him. And if they do trade him double T, it's not going to be in the NFC. Let's talk. Um, I think, again, the Jets would probably say, here's the 10th pick. We'll yeah, take Debo. Stay in San Francisco. Um <laughs> right. But I just think, I wonder if if, if Quasey would, would be cool with trading back, because that's going to get the fan base irritated, at least initially, that he had a 12th pick in the draft, and now you're trading down to 20. But, you know, sometimes that makes the most sense. I, I look back a few years ago when Green Bay traded down, and then they traded back up again to get Jair Alexander ahead of Mike Hughes and, and other cornerbacks that might have been slotted higher. So don't panic if they trade back. It might be the best move the Vikings can make if a quarterback needy team falls in love with Pickett or Willis and says, we'll give you our second-round pick and 20 to to move up to 12. Well, now suddenly you've got a second-second-round pick, and, and you could add another starter there. So okay. I wouldn't be shocked if the Vikings move down, if Stingley's off the board when they pick at 12. Um, on the same token, I think Green Bay is going to trade up in the first round. I think, I think there's a better than 50-50 chance. That Wait, doesn't mean they will. Yeah, probably for a wide receiver. I think there might be one or two defensive guys that if they're starting to fall to 13, 14, 15, in, in particular the safety from Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton, or the defensive lineman from Georgia, Jordan Davis. Those are two guys projected to be top 15 picks. And if they're sliding a little bit and Green Bay says, we'll give you 22 and 59 you know, to move up to 15, we'll do it. And maybe it's for a defensive guy or maybe it's for one of those top four receivers because conventional wisdom is Green Bay needs a receiver, obviously. And there's four guys 
that might be a notch above the rest, and they're all likely to be gone before Green Bay is on the clock at 22. The two Ohio State guys, Wilson Olave, Jam- really good. Jamison Williams, the injured. Jamison Ohio State is really good. No doubt. And, and Williams, before he got hurt for Bama, was probably the first receiver off the board with that speed, but he's dealing with an ACL. And then Drake London from USC. I wouldn't be shocked if Green Bay moved up to like 14, Baltimore, and said, uh, we'll give you 50, 22 and 59. Let us move up to 14 to get Williams or to get London or Olave, one of those guys. Um, if you're interested, Packer fans out there, my seven-round Packer mock draft is up at my site, theheadcheese.com. I've got Green Bay, barring a trade, if they stay at 22 and 28, I went with Traylon Burks, wide receiver, Arkansas, who's probably the fifth guy. He's that Debo Samuel body, 6'2", 225. You can hand the ball off to him. Um, you You watch his tape. And you kind of go, wow, you know, he's, he's he's a fun guy. So if they don't get one of the top four, I wouldn't be surprised if they go Traylon Burks at 28. And then I had them taking an edge rusher from Penn State, Arnold uh, Ebicati, uh at 28, because they need a third rusher. They lost to Darius Smith, who's obviously here, and they've got two good guys in Gary and Brest, Preston Smith, but not much behind them. They're going to address an edge rusher early. Wouldn't shock me if the Purdue kid, Carlaftis, uh, ends up in Green Bay, too, with one of their first two picks. So I, I feel receiver, edge rusher, uh, they're not going to go receiver, receiver. Um, but I'll be marginally surprised if they wait till Friday to take a wide receiver. And if they do, if if they go through the first round Thursday night and don't take a receiver, Packer Twitter might explode on Thursday night and all day Friday. But as I said in my blog, what if they go defense, defense, and end up in the second round and take with two picks, Take uh, George Pickens from Georgia and Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, two guys that Packers Twitter loves that might very well be there for them in the second round. And now suddenly they come out of the first two days with those two receivers and two potential defensive playmakers. No one's going to be crying about them not taking a receiver on Thursday. So a lot of intrigue around uh, Green Bay because they have four picks in the first 59. And Gunakunst has executed six trades in his four drafts, leading Green Bay, a number of them in the first round, up or down, so uh, it'll be a an interesting night as Green Bay uses that extra draft capital they got from dealing away Devontae Adams. Looking forward to how that breaks down Thursday night and then again on Friday night. Okay, final five minutes. Okay. Let's go back to where we started. Okay. Timberwolves, <laughs> epic collapse Thursday night has them trailing two games to one. In two of these three games, they have looked like the better team for, oh, for most sure. for most of the game. Yep. Um, but the reality is Memphis uh, pulled off the the gigantic historic comeback Thursday night, and now have home court advantage. And they have again. huge confidence, and they have huge confidence, and they know if they win tonight, they're not going to have to come back to Minnesota. And we love it here. We've made this place our home. We both come from different lands. We like to consider us one of us at this point, even though we're not. We love it here. Memphis has no interest and coming back here again for a Game 6 next week. So, if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves, and you know your season's on the line, and you know what you let get away Thursday night, how do you pick up the pieces? Let's start again with Chris Finch. How do you get this young group together? And I understand Beverly's been through the playoff wars, and he's going to be yapping and explaining what has to get done. It's one game. We showed we could stay with him. We let it get away. This is our house, all that stuff. But it's still up to Finch, Turner, all those coaches to get these guys' heads back in it after what happened Thursday night. So where do they go to get them ready? 
Well, I would, I would come in with a, with a positive spin and talk about all the good things that we have done in the first three games. And then, as I said, I would sit down and, as a head coach and just evaluate, you know, what do I need to do better? And to talk about and show them all the good things that we've done and show them a few things here and there where we can get better at. And then realize that, you know, I got to make some adjustments as well here. I, I got to help this team get home if we are in a position to get home. I, I know that we've had a, a really good regular season and we're the number one scoring team in the league, right? So, but all of that now has changed. And when things begin to change, we have to be able to adapt to that change. And it's up to me as the head coach, you know, to help these young guys to adapt on the fly to see if we can bring this thing home. How do we get Carl Anthony Towns head into this series? We talked about it. Four, the last four games, uh, three of them have been terrible. Uh, again, Thursday night, I, I don't want to forget that he played very well defensively. He played hard defensively. He, he blocked shots. He, um, he was a problem. For, and again, they went small, and it made things a little easier for him because he was the biggest guy out there. But how do you get Carl Anthony Towns back into this game offensively? Um, we, you know, we led with it early that if they're going small, take advantage and go down low with him. Is it that simple? How do you get Towns' head back into this? Thing? Well, you have to sit down and talk to him about, you know, this is how they're defending you, and these are the things that they're throwing at you from different angles on the floor from a defensive standpoint. Now it's up to us as a coaching staff to figure out how to move you around and put you in, in better positions where the game can become a whole lot easier for you to make plays. It's up to me now is to help make sure that you stay out of foul trouble. i got to talk to you about this. You know, you got to stop using your hands here and there. Don't pick up silly fouls. I need for you to grow and change as well. But as a coaching staff, we have to help you along the way. And, and if that pick and roll is is a steady diet of what they like to do too much of, and you're trying to beat small guys 28 feet from the basket, it's not going to work for you, man. Well, what's your hunch? What goes down tonight? I think the Wolves will bounce back. Late start, 9 o'clock. Is that an issue? It could be for both teams because neither of these guys are used to playing at 9 o'clock. It'll be interesting. I My heart says they're going to figure a way to bounce back, but, man, it's just mentally. Yeah, bounce back. Tough to, tough to come back from what happened Thursday By 11.30, night. it should be 2-2. I hope you're right, my okay. man. I won't call you. <laughs> you're always welcome to call me. You know that. Uh, for Double T, Trent Tucker. For Brett Blakemore, I'm Dave Sinekin. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Beyond the Pond is next.